This afternoon we will look at the teaching of the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Confession of Faith, the Belgic Confession, Article 15. You can find that in the Book of Praise on page 505. If you're watching and unable to have access to a Book of Praise in your hand, you can also just Google the Belgic Confession. It's Article 15 under the title of Original Sin. And here the church confesses, We believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has spread throughout the whole human race. It is a corruption of the entire nature of man and a hereditary evil which infects even infants in their mother's womb. As a root, it produces in man all sorts of sin. It is therefore so vile and abominable in the sight of God that it is sufficient to condemn the human race. It is not abolished nor eradicated even by baptism, for sin continually streams forth like water welling up from this woeful source. Yet in spite of all this, original sin is not imputed to the children of God to their condemnation, but by His grace and mercy is forgiven them. This does not mean that the believers may sleep peacefully in their sin, but that the awareness of this corruption may make them often groan as they eagerly wait to be delivered from this body of death. In this regard, we reject the error of the Pelagians who say that this sin is only a matter of imitation. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is a lot of conversation these days about every individual's identity. How you identify yourself determines your ideas about how to approach life, what you can expect, what your needs are, what you can accomplish in this life. And it's good to have a clear definition for yourself of who you are. If you see yourself as just a physical body, then life will be all about having your physical and emotional desires satisfied. If you feel that you are more, or perhaps even different than what people see when they look at you, then life may be an attempt to make your real or your inner self known through what you choose to do with your time. If you see yourself as just one small contributing part of a broader community, and think it is important to blend in, or as a unique individual that must stand out and make your own decisions and your own mark in this world, this also will influence your expectations of yourself and of others around you. And we see that these different ways of looking at ourselves have created a lot of tensions in different societies, tensions in our society as well, as it arises from different cultural values and the different goals of vastly divided political parties. Our definition of what is good and what is evil revealed in our expectations of what individuals ought to pursue, what they ought to tolerate, what they ought to reject, are all based on our understanding of who I am as a human being. All ideologies 
find their basis in a person's understanding of human nature. And then when Christians seek to fulfill their creation mandate for the glory of God in their relationships and their work and their worship, the question of their identity also becomes all important. We need to know who we are before we can understand our relationship to God. And there is more to be said about who we are than just what we can see when we look in a mirror or hear when we listen to the opinions of others or make a list of when we just make a list of the things we like and we don't like. We can only know, truly know who we are when we listen to our Creator, the one who made us. And as we listen to Him speak to us through His Word, and it is through a careful study of His Word, this is also then summarized in Article 15 of the Belgic Confession, that we see the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That though we are born to sin in death, in Christ we are born again to life. And we'll see, as Paul teaches in Romans 8 verse 4, To set your mind on the flesh is death, and to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And so we read together from Romans 5 and 7 and 8, and as we were reading, you could see that many times the Apostle speaks about the flesh. As in English, the word flesh can mean many different things. When Romans 8 verse 3 says that Christ was in the flesh when he condemns sin, it's talking about his human body with flesh covering the bones that was seen in person in the flesh among us. However, when Romans 8 speaks about the rest of the human race and the influence of the flesh on their lives, then the word flesh is really more a reference to the bodies and souls of men and women after they were corrupted through the fall into sin. And Paul ensures that we don't confuse the two when he specifies that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was without sin, but all other flesh is stained with original sin that permeates it like rot in a tree or rust in an old car. In Romans 8, there is a further contrast being made between the flesh, which is the source or the fountain of ungodly desires, and the spirit, which is the source of godly desires. And when we walked in, there was a reference to Galatians 5, verse 16, that speaks of this conflict within our very hearts. In answer to the question of who we are, Romans 3 to 8 makes it clear that we are born in sin to death, and that our sinful flesh is, as we read in Romans 8, verse 7, hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Without the new hearts that God gives to those who believe in Him, we don't just commit sins, but we are sinful. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 states it bluntly, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? And so how did we get to be in this situation? Well, we confess that we got into this situation because of the fall into sin that is described for us in Genesis 3. And the Holy Spirit 
teaches us to make this connection right in Romans chapter 5, the passage, the verses we read together, where we read that sin entered the world through one man and then spread throughout the whole human race. And when we learn from Psalm 51 verse 5 that people are already conceived in sin, then we are forced by God's word to reject Pelagius' teaching of a clean slate or an innocent birth that he defended in his famous 5th century debate with another theologian named Augustine. And you can read more about that on your own time between Augustine and Pelagius. And although at first we may question then, how is it fair for God to hold a person living in 2020, how is it fair for God to hold such a person responsible for something that someone else did centuries before we were born, we ask that question and we look at the picture, we say, how is God being fair and just in all this? But then we realize that it's not hard to see that Adam is not so far removed from us as we may first think. In the first place, Adam and Eve are our first Parents from whom every person in all the earth has descended. The character of our human nature was established by Adam and Eve. And in in a way, our natures were present in paradise with them through the family lines. And in the second place, Adam and Eve were appointed by God as representatives of the entire human race. When they made a decision, they represented the decisions that we ourselves would have made. We can think in terms of a leader of a democratic country in relation to the citizens of that country. When our representative declares war, we are also responsible for the decision and the consequences because we asked him to represent us. When Adam declared war on the Lord, Not only are we affected by the consequences of of this decision, but we are also personally responsible for what they decided to do. Now God ensured that we would have the best representatives possible in Adam and Eve. And so without questioning the justice, the wisdom, or the holiness of God, we simply conclude that we are, as Scripture teaches personally responsible together with Adam for both the guilt and the pollution of sin that we see in ourselves. We refuse to blame others for our own wickedness. We reject all teachings that suggest we are born innocent and only sin by imitation. And we repeat the old rhyming explanation, in Adam's fall, we are sinners all. And we know that the hereditary evil of sinful flesh disqualifies us from eternal life before we are even born. And we know that because when God sent His Son as a Savior, that Son needed to be conceived by the Holy Spirit in order to break the pervading influence of original sin which filled the heart of every child born to a man and a woman. We also know that when a person's mind is then set on the flesh and their bodies are controlled by its desires, original sin is like a root 
or a fountain that keeps producing more and more sins. The sinful flesh will only bring you to rebellion against God's law. Those controlled by the flesh, by the sinful nature, they, they cannot please God. The root of sin and the source of poisonous water welling up from this woeful source, we confess, is vile and abominable in the sight of God, as you can also read in Psalm 51. And our inherent guilt, that's even at the moment of conception, and our constant sinful orientation and desires are sufficient to condemn the human race. And it's very important then to pay attention to what the Bible teaches about who you are as a child of Adam and Eve. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you can remember this as well. Do you see the corruption of your very nature? How trustworthy are you without God's Spirit leading you through His Word? Can you trust your feelings to help you define what is good and and what is evil? When we consider how often we must fight against the wrong ways of thinking and desires to actually do what is harmful to ourselves and to others, we see why the Holy Spirit warns us not to set our minds on the sinful flesh. Simply put, without God's work in our lives, our flesh is corrupted. And yes, even vile and abominable in the sight of God. And if you know this about yourselves, about human nature, both from the knowledge of God's Word and and certainly also personal experience, when we, we know this about ourselves, should we be surprised that the people around you are in the same situation. You see then how our confession in Article 15 is so very helpful to prepare us for our relationships with people around us. We should not be surprised by the sinful desires of others. And in fact, we must allow our confession to inform us when we learn how to live with our parents when we are teenagers or with our husbands or our wives in our marriages or with our children when we are parents or with one another as we give support and advice. We presume that every person has a sinful nature. We know the insistent evil of sin. We know of that root and that fountain within each one of us that keeps misleading us. We know the absolute need for patience and for grace as we look to the Lord alone to give us guidance through this difficult life. When we know who we are, as we confess it, it's a very great blessing for our marriage relationships, for our family relationships, for one another as we encourage each other to look to Jesus Christ alone. For we do not struggle against the fruit of original sin all by ourselves. And every Christian can know that it is only when we turn to God that His Spirit can bring us once again into life and peace. You see that Paul also speaks about setting our mind on the Spirit. 
Now, we may have felt a bit ripped off that we are held responsible for the sins committed by Adam and Eve in the garden. But when we get to Romans 5, we can see why it is a good thing that God works in community and in family relationships and that He accepts representatives and substitutes in our place. The Gospel of Romans 5 is that just as God considered Adam as a representative of all mankind so that Adam's guilt and punishment are shared by the entire human race, so also God considers His perfect Son, Jesus Christ, as a representative and a substitute for every single person who believes in Him. And as a result, the second Adam's righteousness and holiness is shared with everyone who is united to Him, to to Jesus Christ, by true faith. When we follow Jesus Christ by true faith, we share also in His declaration of the end of war, as well as in the consequences of this peace. The Holy Spirit calls the second Adam the gift, who, unlike the trespass, is able to bring life. And when we look at the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we can quickly see why He is the perfect mediator and deliverer. Right now, many of the young people in the congregation are studying and memorizing Lord's Days 5 and 6. And they'll be able to tell you, or maybe tell you very soon, that being true and righteous man, Jesus has become a perfect substitute, a representative for us. And that being at the same time true God, He is able to bear the burden of God's wrath that we deserve. Since Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born without original sin, and since Jesus lived as the second Adam with a pure heart and pure mind, He was also able to live without committing any actual sins, truly loving God and His neighbor. And the promise of the Gospel is that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ belongs to His body and is adopted into God's family out of mere grace for Christ's sake. Paul says that we're heirs of of all that Christ has obtained. And that means that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are treated just as Jesus is treated. Because God accepts a representative in our place, original sin, we confess, is not imputed to the children of God. But rather, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. That means it's, it's declared to our account. When God looks at us, he, he doesn't see what we have done, but He sees what Christ has done. And that's why we say that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are born again, not to death, but to life. At the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are transferred from the realm of death and punishment and brought into the kingdom of God where there is peace and life. The children cross over with their believing parents and receive the promise of receiving the same things if they abide in Christ and do not reject His grace. Baptism 
is a sign that is given to everyone who is acknowledged to have been born in the covenant or to anyone who joins God's covenant and congregation after living a time in unbelief and rebellion. And so in opposition to the Roman church that teaches that the water of baptism can, uh, can remove original sin, our confession affirms that water is a sign and cannot remove original sin. At the same time, with the word even, even by baptism, the confession makes it clear that baptism is more than just a meaningless splash of water. It cannot remove original sin, but it isn't something that is meaningless. Baptized people really are distinguished from the children of unbelievers. You can live with the hope of eternal life with God through faith in Jesus Christ through whom there truly is forgiveness of sins. When we are in the realm of Christ, He represents us before the Father. And whoever believes and trusts in Him in word and in deed does not need to fear God's condemnation of either their original sin or their actual sins. That's a gospel that we we cling to with joy. When we are in Christ by faith, we do not need to fear judgment for the root that we see within ourselves that continues to produce all sorts of sins. We do not need to fear judgment because Christ bore that but judgment and punishment for us. But we also do not sleep peacefully in those sins. Setting our mind on the Spirit in the comfort of the Gospel of Jesus Christ does not bring an end to conflict within ourselves, but rather it brings us to the conflict. Outside of Christ, there is very little desire to fight against our sins just because they offend the Holy God. People may want to fight against some of their sins because they harm their neighbor, which ultimately is bad for themselves. But they wouldn't call these misdemeanors sins. And certainly wouldn't let a divine moral code have more opinion, or more authority than public opinion. When the Holy Spirit enters our hearts when we believe in Jesus Christ, that is when the fight against sin begins. Having your mind set on the Spirit is submitting yourself to His standards and following Him as He guides you in identifying and entering into conflict with the fruits of the flesh. Believing in Jesus Christ, baptized children of God are led by the Holy Spirit not only to be aware of their corruption, and we saw that a little bit this morning, that half the battle is that we're, we're not even seeing how we are sinning against the Lord, but also the Spirit leads us to groan, to groan when we see how we continue to turn away from the God of all grace and mercy. And we eagerly wait to be delivered from this body of death, a clear quotation of Paul. Although sin has no longer has dominion in our lives, we, we know that we still have sinful natures. Even among church members, even among those who believe in Jesus Christ with the Spirit in their hearts, there, there still is a struggle against sin. 
But what changes? When the Spirit is in our hearts, we can experience that grieving over sin, that groaning. We expect repentance and humility and the fruit of good works. Paul writes it so beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 to 57. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Although we may not enjoy the fact that we share in Adam's guilt, we do praise God for showing us that Adam's sin is not powerful enough to condemn those or to have dominion in the lives of those who are redeemed in Jesus Christ. And the victory of Christ celebrated by the Apostle Paul at the end of Romans 7 as he expresses thanks to God through Jesus Christ our Lord for the deliverance from this body of death. Well, that serves as the context for Paul's encouraging message for believers in Romans 8. And if you have that before you, you can see how he explains it already in verse 1. Although we share in Adam's fall into sin and by nature are children of wrath, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, we read in verses 3 and 4, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then verses 5 to 10 of Romans 8 explains that setting our minds on the things of the Spirit and keeping in step with Him as He he guides us daily through His Word, we may encounter life and peace because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in whom we share. Although every human being is conceived and born in sin, when they submit to God and believe in Jesus Christ, they are born again as creatures in whom the Spirit of God Himself dwells. It's like having your rotten and poisonous and destroying fountain of of water now replaced with clean, life-giving source of water, the Holy Spirit who fills our hearts. And brothers and sisters, you who believe in Jesus Christ are new creatures. And the gospel we proclaim is not just a gospel of, of weakness, but also a gospel of strength in the Spirit who fills our hearts. And so we see that confessing original sin as a root and as a fountain in our hearts, it's not an excuse for weakness but a reason for great humility and increased dependence on God's grace and His power in our lives. It's true that we're not surprised by the sins that continue to arise in our lives and in the lives of those who are around us, but we are truly saddened by these sins because they're so out of place in our bodies, which are temples of the Holy Spirit Himself. 
the same time then we are delighted to see Christ's victory over death. It's not just something that we will experience sometime in the future. But already today we can see that sin has no dominion in our hearts. The Spirit of God is, is more powerful. We can overcome some of the, des the desires of our sinful nature. We can refuse temptations as the Spirit gives us open eyes to see the truth. We have power to respond correctly to God's gracious promises. The Spirit leads us into life and peace. It's true, the battle is constant. And yes, we trip and we fall and we fail often. But we can be sure that God will sustain us and bring us into life and peace because in Jesus Christ there's forgiveness of sins and new life. And so the Spirit tells us, set your minds on the Holy Spirit. Walk in the way of truth that He is leading you on through His Word. And rejoice in the certainty of your victory in Jesus Christ. Though we are born in sin to death, in Christ we are born again to life. Amen.